12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, 12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham. Time to talk all things whiskey today. And my next guest is Brett Bailey. He's Southeast Asia's single malt ambassador at William Grant & Sons. Brett, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. So explain to me, how does one get into this profession? You're a brand ambassador for a huge company. How did you enter this profession? Uh, it was a little bit of luck. Um, weirdly enough, my start into uh, the brand ambassador role actually came from making ice cream, uh, which is a bit of a stretch, but uh, I was actually living over in the Philippines. I have a, a small Australian style cafe that was set up over there in 2017. And uh, I have a background in the F&B industry. I, when I was living back in Australia, I was a bartender and move my way into to, uh, general management roles, uh, so on and so forth. So had a bit of a background with the alcohol industry anyway. Basically, it was a happenstance. Uh, there was a, a global competition that Glenn Fittick used to run that was launching in the Philippines. One of the competitors, uh, the partner that he was working with was an ice cream maker. They had to pull out at the last minute. And the William Grant & Sons team were uh, friends of mine, so they knew what I had, gave me a call, and three days later we were in the competition and ended up doing really well out of it. Uh, I think that was the uh, sort of turning point that really put me in front of the team uh, that was working with Glenn Fittick at the time. So they saw me, I guess, perform on stage and uh, got the, the grounded sort of understanding that I had of the, the spirits um, world as well. And then uh, ended up getting called in for an interview. And uh, what, two and a half years later, here I am still sort of slugging away. What an incredible story from making ice cream to becoming the brand ambassador. But, you know, how much did that competition change your life? Funny enough, I wasn't necessarily looking for work at the time. Mm. Um, from being a bartender when I was first out of high school, uh, you know, that was the, one of the first jobs that I ever had. So I'd had experience of working with brand ambassadors. Uh, in fact, one of my uncles is actually a spirits ambassador uh, for Agave Spirits. So I'd seen these guys kind of swagger into the room and everyone immediately gets excited because they know some drinks are on the way, a whole lot of information. But uh, it, it was just a really exciting sort of role that I'd, I'd seen happening around me previously. Um, and so the, the opportunity to sort of have one and take this adventure of moving from the Philippines to Singapore, um, you know, I'd spent a little bit of time here, but not an, an abundance. And so, uh, you know, it, it really gave me this this wonderful opportunity to not just live in Singapore, but also travel across a lot of Southeast Asia, as well as other parts of the world, uh, pretty much preaching the gospel um, mm-hmm. of, uh, of single malt whiskey, which is a, a nice little job to have. Yeah, it certainly sounds like one. And before the pandemic, you were certainly living it up. You mentioned you used to travel extensively. What did a day in the life of Brett Bailey look like before the pandemic? Uh, I guess the the easier way to break it down was what a, a week looked like, uh, mm. because it, it really was uh, governed by which country I was going to be in. So on a Monday morning, um, bright and early, usually around six o'clock, I'd be out the door in a grab heading down to the airport. From there, I'd fly to one of the, the, the five countries outside of Singapore that I tend to, to handle. So be it Malaysia or Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand or the Philippines, uh, would land, check into the hotel, drop my bags and then head straight out and into usually the first of probably about two a day engagements. So I'd host a training for bartenders in the afternoon and then I'd be hosting a dinner or an experience or something in the evening. From there, that would be followed by a little bit of bar hopping, going out to check in on the industry before trying to get as early a night as I possibly could, waking up next day and uh, hitting the gym before starting the whole process again, and finally flying back to Singapore, usually on a Friday evening or uh, early Saturday morning. 
And if someone were to ask you, what was your fondest memory of that role before the pandemic? What would you tell them? Oh, uh, there's been there's been a lot. Um, I think the the one that really stands out off the top of my mind was one of the first trips that I did back to the Philippines. Having you know, I spent about eleven years there in total, from be it being in high school all the way through to starting my business. So to kind of come back with this triumphant return and host uh, an anniversary um, sort of celebration at uh, a bar that I used to go to quite a lot that my friends owned um, and absolutely packing the place out. I ended up setting the record for attendance of a, uh, a tasting. It was a, a nice little pat on the back for uh, for how things have sort of transpired over the course of that first sort of a uh, few months. Yeah, and I introduced you as uh, Southeast Asia's single malt ambassador at William Grant & Sons. You oversee a couple of brands. Tell me a little bit more about them. Yeah, so when I first started, I was exclusively with uh, Glenn Fittick. Um, now, obviously, the pandemic has changed the way that companies have to interact and, and try to find talent. I'm one of those people that will happily sit and research uh, the weirder sides of things, you know, be it history or cultural impact or anything. So uh, the the role with Balvenie, um, our sort of second brand that was ever created under William Grant, that role came up available as well. And because of the fact that we had limitations on local talent coming in, uh, the conversation was had. So I ended up taking over the Balveni role in October of last year as well. And then uh, fast forward to March, sort of April of this year, we actually launched a private client's room at our office in uh, Tanjung Pagar. So I now have a hand in what we classify as archival stock, which is anything from, be it a ghost distillery that we shut down in 1975 called Ladyburn, uh, all the way through to the high, rare, collectible, valuable, um, sort of really unique pieces that have lasted pretty much the entire way from the 60s all the way up until now. So it's quite a number of uh, bottles that are, even now I'm having to research and constantly update my knowledge on. But my primary focus will always be around Glenfiddich and the Balvenie. We're talking all things single malt whiskey here on Money FM 89.3 with Brett Bailey. Uh, he's Southeast Asia's single malt ambassador at William Grant and Sons. You mentioned a lot of you know different bottles uh, you look after as well. A lot of your job requirement was uh, to interact with people. Now, how has the pandemic changed that for you? Because it's completely changed your life. Yeah, it's it's become an interesting world in that, you know, the brand ambassadors were very much, I guess, the uh, the walking marketing for the company. You know, we're the ones that would step into the room and try and excite people uh, about our brands. And with good reason, you know, there's incredible stories and the liquid itself always stands up. I think the, the biggest challenge for us was how rapidly we had to pivot. Um, I'm one of three brand ambassadors for William Grant & Sons here in Singapore. And having to see this entire shift from these physical engagements to you know now coming up on, on almost two years worth of virtual and how we can make the experience more beneficial and more connective with our audience. So the, the hardest part for me is not being able to travel to the destinations outside of Singapore. We have had some small windows here where we could do, you know, very sort of micro versions of what we did. But, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, we've, we've managed to integrate all of the required sort of virtual tools that we can get our hands on to create experiences, be it virtual distillery tours. Uh, one, in, in fact, I'm actually doing uh, next week with our distillery over in Dufftown, where we actually get the opportunity to not just have the brand ambassadors interact from the region, but we actually bring in elements of the distillery, including the people that work over in Scotland to talk directly to our audience. 
And because you used to travel so much and when Singapore announced that it was going to enter a circuit breaker last year, what was going through your mind at that moment? Uh, it was a little bit of dread, a little bit of excitement. Uh, the first year that I was on with the company, as you mentioned, I traveled extensively. Um, I think I was probably averaging about three weeks out of a month um, for almost the full 12 months that I was on. So the, the opportunity to sort of have a step back and I guess reflect on what we'd achieved in that first 12 months before stepping out to work out what was next was a little bit refreshing. We also thought this was going to be a lot more uh, of a short-term problem uh, than obviously what it turned into. Um, the dread set in, I think, when it was, you know, how, how do we face these issues? How are we going to connect with our audience and how are we going to, you know, induct new people into the brand? Uh, but again, you know, we've got an amazing team that we work with. It's one of those positions where the, the brand ambassadors are very external facing. Uh, and I think the team behind the scenes don't get enough credit for the, uh, the work that they do, be it here in Singapore or, uh, or beyond as well. Yeah, it was a scary time indeed, the circuit breaker. But slowly things are starting to look a little brighter. How much has your life changed in the last 12 months, the role of a brand ambassador? It has been enormous. Um, I'm very fortunate in that uh, I live in a shop house with uh, with for others. So we've got a lot of space and, and a nice little sort of internal social uh, environment. But, um, you know, there, there's even that has its uh, hindrances. If I have to do any live sessions, it means a request goes out to my housemates for peace and quiet in the downstairs area, because it's a little bit more presentable than sort of being the guy that's presenting from his bedroom. But, uh, you know, overall, we're, we're still able to function as a business. The industry is distribution is starting to pick up. Um, I think the, the biggest change that we're seeing is how much we need to really add a focus on supporting the, uh, the F&B outlets. It's all very well for us to go in and try and educate and entertain the, the bartenders. But right now, the, the one thing that we're noticing, especially with our amazing sort of uh, independent cocktail bars, is the one thing they need is, is support in just reminding people that they're open, they're there, and we should be going out to try and keep their businesses afloat so that when things do normalize and we can go out with our friends again, you know, we've actually got opportunity to do so. Yeah, and these different phases that we're going through in Singapore, of course, it's battered the FNB industry when we go from eight packs to five packs, back to two, back to five, to zero, and then now two, because you have a lot of friends in the FNB industry. There's a lot of uncertainty. A couple of businesses have had to shut down, but what are they telling you and how are you supporting them besides just getting the word out there? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of frustration at the moment, and I think it's just this uh, this sort of never-ending cycle of kind of being fed a very small amount of opportunity that kind of keeps that flame of hope alive. Um, you know, the, the bars have done an incredible job uh, seeing how creative they've gotten in putting new concepts out there that, again, bring their audience back to the bar without being able to physically go there necessarily. Um, you know, as you mentioned, a few have had to shut their doors, which is really sad because you know, being a business owner myself, I know the blood, sweat and tears and the passion that goes into actually starting something uh, like that. There's a lot of work in the F&B industry. But for us, we saw opportunity to try and especially during the circuit breaker, we launched uh, quite a successful platform called the 1887 Virtual Bar, where we sold online coupons for the bars while they were closed, which allowed the revenues to sort of you know continue to trickle in. But then consumers who purchased could actually go in and collect their cocktails once things opened. One thing that was amazing was that our company actually, without any of us pushing for it, then turn and said, look, for every $1,000 worth of cocktails that are bought on one of these one-hour sessions, we'll actually match that so that the bar doubles the revenue that comes in. 
So there's been a few little uh, programs like that uh, that we've managed to put through. You know, unfortunately, it's a small piece of the puzzle, but it's just, again, trying to keep these guys afloat because so much hard work has gone into creating, you know, the incredible venues that Singapore is so fortunate to have. It is certainly incredible as well, but opportunities have also come up as a result of the pandemic. Brett, we're talking about different opportunities, whether it's bottle cocktails or food pairings, for example, and you're quite involved in picking uh, the right bottle uh, to pair with a certain meal. Tell me a little bit more about this and how uh, you come to this decision. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's something that a lot of people uh, outside of Southeast Asia, funny enough, don't really participate in, but it it really is something that we've championed uh, primarily with the Balveni. So we recently have been running uh, for about the last 12 months, you know, on on and off, given the, uh, the restrictions, a partnership with the Michelin Guide where we've actually done a series of curated menu pairings across you know, a, a bunch of different restaurants in Singapore that have these incredible accolades behind them. And they tell the story of what we do at the distillery through their own craft. Uh, Balveni, we celebrate the five rare crafts you know, as the only distillery in Scotland that's actually completing all five of these, be it on-site malting or you know, having our own team of coopers. Uh, everything is still made by hand, made by heart. And so... There's a connection point for us with chefs. You don't wake up one morning, decide to open a restaurant and Michelin knocks on your door. There's a lifetime of dedication that comes in. And so by doing this program, it's it's allowed us to really open people's minds in uh, the way of, you know, what does it mean to do a whiskey pairing? Can you do it with uh, Japanese inspired Sichuan cuisine over at Shisen Hunton? You know, can you work with uh, the amazing team down at Burnt Ends and do that sort of open wood fire cooking that then matches up against this really beautiful and sweet whiskey? Uh, and what we found is that all of the restaurants that we've engaged have have really enjoyed the process of working with us. We've tried to push their creativity a little bit as well. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had some, uh, some fantastic results from it. Yeah, you certainly have. You're always adapting and you're getting extraordinary results out of it. As a brand ambassador for a single malt whiskey, are there a couple of bottles that, you know, just stay on the shelves that you never open or have you opened all of your bottles? Uh, I've definitely got a few that have been uh, staring at me now since I, um, I joined the, the role so one of them is this incredible bottle that, funny enough, it's there's this misconception that whiskey has to be expensive and old for it to be uh, truly amazing. I was fortunate enough that when I first joined the company, they flew me out to the distillery to do an induction with our global brand ambassador uh, up in Dufftown. And on the last day, he gifted me a bottle of the Snow Phoenix from Glenfiddich. Now, this is a bottle that came about by pure um, sort of accident and hardship in that we had a massive snowfall in the Scottish Highlands back in 2009. uh, And it collapsed one of our warehouses and buried uh, whiskies that were aged between 13 and 30 years. Uh, And so this was funny enough, one of the first years that Brian Kinsman, our current malt master, had just stepped into that role faced this massive adversity and said, well, you know, let's just blend it together because we can't really utilize it for anything else now. The liquid turned out to be amazing. For me, price is never the issue uh, in that I'm not watching this bottle thinking, you know, in 10 years time, I'm going to try and sell it. It's all about who I'm going to share it with, what's the reason I'm going to open it, you know, and what's the experience I'm trying to create for myself because, you know, I've now been sitting on that bottle for over two and a half years. And and again, it originally retailed at 50 pounds a bottle. (laughs) The collector's market for that one has inflated the price slightly. So there is definitely a, a demand for it. But it's just that bottle that I'm waiting for that special rainy day to uh, to actually open and, and share with the right people. 
And I guess one of those days will be when this pandemic has come to a complete halt. And I'm sure we're all waiting for that as well. In terms of a couple of fun facts that we'll just throw in, what are some myths that people often believe about whiskey, which is probably not true? So the big one that I'm uh, constantly battling, I guess, is that whiskey has to be old to be good. Um, There's some incredible younger whiskeys in there. Funny enough, I drink Glenfiddich 12 uh, with soda as a as a highball because I think it's the perfect serve for me. And I was doing that well before I ever started with the company. Um, so realistically, it's you don't have to buy old and expensive. You just have to buy something that really suits your flavor palette. So if you enjoy the taste, well, then that's that's the answer. That's the bottle for you. Another one would be that you can't drink whiskey uh, with anything added into it. Single malt seems to have this uh, uh, myth around it that it's precious and don't get me wrong, once we start getting up into the, the, the higher age statements, it absolutely is you know, very rare and very precious. But if you enjoy drinking your whiskey on the rocks, I mean, we live in Southeast Asia, it's hot outside, and I completely understand that. Uh, if you want to put a splash of water in there, no worries. And if your idea is to drown it in a mixer because you like the sugary impact of it, absolutely fine. If it's your bottle, it's your your choice, the way that you go about it. Quite a few facts there by Brett Bailey. He's a Southeast Asia single malt ambassador at William Grant & Sons. We've been discussing all things whiskey. And uh, I've certainly learned a lot more. Thank you so much, Brett, for joining me on the show. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. And uh, yourself as well. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.